One focus, one subject. Welcome to The Real Story, the podcast that brings together global experts to explain one issue shaping the news. BBC World Service podcasts are supported by advertising. This is The Real Story from the BBC World Service with me, Ritula Shah. I'm not going to be decorative. Mexico's next president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, promises to act. Universally known as AMLO, he won a landslide victory in July and takes office on Saturday, controlling both houses of Mexico's Congress. He's got power and popularity in a country where the institutions of state are weak. AMLO, though, is often described as the most left-wing Mexican leader for decades. He's promised to champion the poor, give opportunities to the young and to tackle corruption. This is Mr. López Obrador speaking after he won the election back in July. Corruption isn't a cultural phenomenon, but the result of a political regime in decline. We are sure that this is the main cause of social and economic inequality. Corruption is also the cause of violence in our country. But the markets are worried about his vision and his move towards more direct democracy. He's also had to contend with a powerful neighbour, the United States, which currently has a nationalist president at its helm. On this week's Real Story, we're asking, will AMLO change Mexico or will Mexico change him? Well, first of all, let's hear from Will Grant. He's the BBC's correspondent in Mexico. He gave me a flavour of AMLO's political pedigree. Well, in a sense, he's the very first social movement leader to take a position of such power in Mexico. And what I mean by that is that he came from a very poor background and made his name in politics by representing groups on indigenous rights, particularly, and by standing apart from the wealthied and moneyed elites who've run the country for so many decades. I think that really lies at the heart of his popularity with all those people who turned out for him in such large numbers. Uh, in the election. He is seen as different. He is seen as almost a messiah figure among his supporters. And in terms of then policies and what he hopes to enact, what would you say are his key planks of his political agenda? Well, he's constantly campaigned on an idea of anti-corruption, of tackling the endemic corruption in Mexico. And of course, that went down very, very well. People here are exhausted with the corruption, whether or not it be from paying off a cop, a traffic cop on the street, right through to the the president, the outgoing president, uh, Enrique Peña Nieto, and his family being embroiled in a scandal over owning a very, very expensive house, and exactly where the money came from for paying for that house. Um, so people are extremely tired of, of that. And, and his agenda on that front went down very, very well. Of course, he also said that he would be pushing all of the, the things that are popular in terms of left wing populist policies, uh, improving the health service, improving education and so on. And that with all the money he saved from having eradicated corruption, that he would be able to boost doctor's salaries and things like this. Of course, the questions remained all the way through. Well, how? You know, how do you eradicate corruption? This has been the, the problem in Mexico for, for decades. Um, there is a little bit of disenchantment creeping in, in the sense that he, he said, for example, that, uh, he will pardon all 
previous presidents, all corrupt politicians up until this point and sort of things start now. Uh, well, that doesn't chime with what he was saying until this point is what a lot of people think. And one last thought, the relationship with the big neighbour, the United States, and the question of migrants. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be fascinating to watch, isn't it? I mean, as things stand at the moment, the relationship with the Trump administration actually looks quite friendly. President Trump seems to get on with him, at least in terms of the, the links they have. But one would think they would fall out in due course, just because there's so many things on which they would butt heads, whether or not it's cross-border security, whether or not it's the migrants, particularly in this very politicised issue of the caravan of Central American migrants currently uh, sitting in Tijuana and what to do with them. There's a whole series of issues that you think that the two sides just won't see eye to eye on. Will Grant, now let's meet this week's panel. From Mexico City, we're joined by Valeria Moy. She's an economist and the director of the think tank Mexico Como Vamos. And Genaro Lozano, he's a professor of international relations at the Ibero-American University in Mexico City. Mark Fierstein is in Washington, D.C. He served in the Obama White House as special assistant to the president and senior director for Western Hemisphere Affairs. He's currently a senior advisor with the Albright Stonebridge Group's Latin America practice. And here with me in London is Joe Tuckman, a former Guardian and Vice News correspondent in Mexico. Welcome to you all. I want to begin by talking about the challenges that AMLO will face in Mexico. But first of all, just to get a sense of your expectations and concerns, I want to ask each of you how you think this presidency will break with the country's recent past. Joe Tuckman. Something that's really important to remember about AMLO is that he really does see himself as uh, spearheading a fundamental change in, in Mexico. I mean, he really does believe it and he believes in himself as a historic, a leader of historic proportions. He talks about the fourth transformation, heading the fourth transformation which of, of the country after independence, liberal reforms, the revolution, and then it's him. So I think he does go in with very big ambitions and a very, and also an ironclad political ego. He's absolutely sure of himself in, in, in all ways. And I think that's fundamental to understanding where he's starting from. Genaro? Well, I, I, also, I also like to say that, uh, of course, uh, this is the third time that AMLO was looking for the presidency. He's been looking for it and uh, fighting for it for over uh, 18 years. And what we'll see uh, this Saturday, it's a celebration. It's going to be a big party for many of the people who voted for him. He uh, got to Los Pinos, to Palacio Nacional, to the presidency of Mexico, with over 30% of difference with uh, his closest rival. So this is, in a sense, a historic moment. It's probably as important as uh, the transition to democracy that Mexico had in 2000, where when uh, the PRI got out of, of, of the presidency for the first time. This is the second time that the PRI gets out of power. And I think that there is a sense of, of course, a lot of expectations, a lot of hope among most of the electors in Mexico, among most of the people. But also there is a lot of, as you were mentioning, fear. The markets are, of course, nervous. The markets are nervous because of some of the decisions that López Obrador has taken during these five months of the transition. Mexico has a very long transition period. It's over five months, five months and a half. And decisions such as the cancellation of the next international airport in Mexico City, the decision uh, talking about the commissions that banks, uh, the bank commissions that, that, that they charge to consumers in Mexico to get rid of them or to lower them has also proved uh, uh, to be a, 
uh, a, a difficult. It's 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 also something that makes um, bankers worry and. Uh, and, and but but in a way, uh, I think that people are uh, the, the sense that I feel at least in, with the people that I talk to, with the the, the, the people that I know, it's a, it's a sense of hope, a sense of excitement, and of course, uh, Lopez Obrador will start uh, disappointing the people who voted for him as long as he takes power. Uh, there are also some other things that are already happening that 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 are, that are clear and and. Uh, uh, and that provoking disappointment among mo- mo- uh, some of his voters. Valeria, then, uh, we've already heaped quite a lot of expectation there at this messianic figure, uh, a big political victory. What else do you think might break with the country's recent past? Well, López Obrador based his platform, his political campaign, on issues regarding corruption, inequality, poverty, insecurity, of course, issues that are severely hurting the Mexican, not only the Mexican economy, but Mexico as a whole. Uh, However, in this way, he's trying to pursue a big change, a fundamental change, as you were mentioning before. However, his politics, his actual politics, what he's proposing, his political agenda, from my perspective, is not going to tackle those issues. For example, regarding corruption, of course, we are all fed up about corruption, and he himself presents himself as a very honest person, which I mainly agree with, but he has not a single public policy regarding corruption. So it's basically rhetoric. He says he's going to tackle corruption, but his idea of tackling corruption is because he's honest. What he has been saying over and over again is that corruption will end because he himself, the president himself, is honest. And in this way, this his honesty will prevail and will tackle down to all his administration. I don't think that's a reasonable way of of thinking, and I don't think that will work. And in that sense, I think the expectations will start to fade. As of now, at this point in time, expectations are incredibly high. His popularity is incredibly high. However, when expectations are so high, I think that he will very soon start to disappoint. No. His policies that uh, the legislators started in September, so he's going to take office this Saturday, but his legislators started in, in September. So what his party has been proposing has been very detrimental for the Mexican economy okay. regarding the markets we'll, and regarding investment. I'm going to stop you there because we will come to Perfect. all of that as the programme goes on. Mark Fierstein. Now, I think you opened the program by asking the fundamental question, will Mexico change AMLO or will AMLO change Mexico? And I think Mexico is going to uh, tame AMLO. It is an exceedingly complicated uh, country to govern. Uh, He's going to have three issues in particular he'll have to focus on. Uh, First is the stagnant economy. Uh, Growth has been uh, fairly slow in recent years. Uh, Wages are stagnant. Uh, Second is the issue of corruption, which is pervasive in Mexico. Um, and third is the issue of crime. Uh, homicide rates have reached uh, record levels. Now, on the one hand, he's uh, taking power with a very, very strong mandate. He won the majority of the vote, 53 uh, percent, which is very high, obviously, in a, in a multi-candidate election. Uh, his party will, con- will control Congress. But at the same time, I think there will be serious constraints on his ability to get things done. Uh, first is public opinion. Uh, the Mexican public is not particularly uh, populist in orientation. Uh, there is strong support for a free market economy, strong support for a pragmatic relationship with the United States. Um, I think as well, as was mentioned, uh, markets will uh, constrain uh, AMLO and with regard to how far he can go uh, on, on the economy. 
And Mexican institutions may not be as strong as they are, say, in the United States or in Britain, but they're fairly strong. And Mexican democracy has developed significantly in recent decades. There's a strong civil society, a strong press. Uh, so I think uh, you know the, the expectations are high, uh, but like is the case with many leaders, I think he will likely um, disappoint people fairly early on. Well, there's an idea of the terrain which we're going to traverse during the course of this programme. Let's first of all, though, hear from inside AMLO's camp. Tatiana Cloutier is a congresswoman for the Morena Party, which, of course, is part of the coalition that was led by AMLO, and, and he very much heads it. She was his presidential campaign manager. Who is the new president? He's a man with a very good humour, I can say. He's always thinking ahead. Maybe he's three or five steps ahead of what you're thinking already. Politically speaking, he's a man of a family. He likes to be close to the people. He likes a lot of uh, nature, I can say. He likes to walk. He likes to go through through nature and, and observe nature. He loves indigenous people. He likes history a lot. And he's pretty much devoted to serving the people. So this good human man who comes from the left of politics, what do you think the priorities will be for his presidency? He believes that we should be working in favour of the people that have less opportunities in life. And then, on the other hand, put the situation in a way that the businessmen can grow more so we can have more employment here. And again, the people that are left behind or have, have been left behind before can keep on having better opportunities and especially work on security. There are high expectations for for this presidency. Is there a danger that he simply won't be able to meet them, given the other issues that exist within Mexico, those of security, of drugs, warfare, of violence and so on? Every time you start a new government, there are high, high, high expectations, no? I don't believe that, I mean, all the expectations will be achieved Nonetheless, I believe that the main programs that he has promised on campaign will be fulfilled and that he will be like starting up a road towards the way we should be taking in order to recover the bad situation that we have been having in security, that we have been having in growth, economical growth, and like putting a situation for the people that have been left behind. What about more generally then the relationship with President Trump? There was a warm exchange of letters uh, when Mr Obrador won the election. But is he going to stand up to President Trump or simply be pragmatic and work with him? Which side of the president do you think will triumph the Mexican president? Last year, he went to the United States and he wrote a, a book that's called Hey Trump. And he made a kind of statement says we are responsible and we are respectful with the president of the United States, but we're standing for our people. And both of them know each other in the sense that they have been observing each other for a while. And he's going to stand up when he needs to stand up. So, so for going instance, to be practical when he needs to do so. On the question of the migrant mm-hmm. train, for instance, which obviously those people have arrived at the border now, it is Mexico that is bearing the brunt of President Trump's policies. Effectively, you have agreed to house many of those people and keep them on detention in detention centres on the Mexican side of the border. Well, if they are in Mexico, you cannot throw them away to the United States or you know, uh, something is going to be they're going to have to work something out. And if they are in, on, in our side, we're going to have to be dealing with what is on our side. 
but you don't think that there would be a, the possibility of a negotiation with America to rethink President Trump's policy, building a wall famously, which Mexico was going to pay for? I don't think there's going to be any wall at all. If they wanted to start at the wall, they will have it started. It's been a long time. This is more of a talk than yet talking about really of a wall. So as far as you're concerned, you think that the migration policy, President Trump's uh, migration policy, won't necessarily be a, a friction point between the two sides? It's not going to be an easy thing, but I think that we have to. Uh, there's not only the migration, that is, the relation is broader than the migration because there are so many other interests going to have to talk and talk and talk and find a solution in favour of both sides. An optimistic Tatiana Clothier there, keen to stress all the positives she expects this presidency to deliver. We will talk about migration uh, during the course of the programme, but I'd like to talk first about one of the biggest challenges facing Mexico, and that's for a decade now the country's been suffering from drug trafficking, lawlessness and violent crime. Mexican gangs don't just move drugs from South America to the US, they're also involved in producing drugs, especially heroin, at home. And it's estimated there's been around 100,000 organised crime-related murders in the past 10 years. And that's on top of the tens of thousands of others who've disappeared. And Mexico recorded more murders in 2017 than in any other year in modern history. And that murder rate is likely to be even higher this year. So what's to be done? AMLO's plan is to put a new National Guard on the streets. Will that make much of a difference, do you think, Valeria? No, well, let's see how it works. It doesn't seem that it will work. Apparently, what he's trying to do is exactly what he said he wouldn't do. Uh, during his campaign, he said that he would uh, take the army uh, out of the streets because the army has been helping the police in this in security matters for the last maybe 12 years. And he said that the army should return to the to the quarters and not be still on the streets. And however, he realized reality confronted him and he realized that it's too soon to do that. And instead, he proposed this National Guard, which basically is a way to establish the army in the streets. Um, I'm not an expert on security, but apparently what experts are saying is that it, this is not a good plan in order to try to improve things regarding security, regarding drug trafficking. Maybe there's another initiative that I think will go through that is to legalize the use of marijuana. And that might help a little bit, at least to diminish not violence and not drug trafficking, but at least to regulate the market. And I think that's an important issue that so, the new administration will tackle. So, Genaro, could this be the first disappointment of the presidency, the, the inability really to come up with a new strategy to tackle drug violence? Yeah, well, that's correct. Actually, I'm, I'm part of a collective of activists called Seguridad Sin Guerra, and it's a collective of human rights defenders who we've been pushing for a change in the in the scheme of how the, the, the war on drugs has been taking place in Mexico ever since Felipe Calderón uh, launched it in 2006. And López Obrador did promise during the campaign to create a National Guard, and we mm-hmm. forgot about it because we had uh, some um, we, we had some some meetings with uh, López Obrador's team, security, and they they explicitly told us that there was there wasn't going to be a, a Guardia Nacional, a National Guard, 
and suddenly they changed their approach. Suddenly, López Obrador uh, did a conference, uh, had a conference in which he announced the creation of this National Guard, along with the other part of his uh, pacification uh, plan, as, as he calls it, which includes, of course, the regulation of the market of drugs, including marijuana and other drugs, which includes, of course, the creation of a, of a commission to analyze and to talk about the, the, the victims of the war on drugs, uh, to locate and to look for the people who are disappeared or missing. Uh, he also talks about uh, launching a program for uh, creating jobs for young people. He talks about making culture uh, part, an integral part of the pacification of the country and many other stuff. But of course, the, the, the announcement of the creation of the National Guard has created a breach, a breach of distrust among sure. people who trusted the, the the, the transition team and people who are now saying that we feel betrayed in a way. Joe Tuckman, how, how disappointing, how damaging could this be? That, well, I mean, I think the, the the National Guard. I think it's it's a yeah, you know, it's a terrible <laughs> idea. And and as Genaro says, it, it wasn't you. I mean, he'd been he'd been floating this idea for actually for for yeah. for a long while, and people kind of ignored it. But I think it's very interesting to take that to 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 see see how that emphasizes this the way that AMLO works is this very ambiguous it's contradictory he gives signals one signal and then he changes and then it's kind of on a whim there's quite a lot of stuff that happens on a whim so that's that that issue of how he deals with that is kind of worrying but the particular issue of the national guard is not just continuing the militarization that was not only hasn't worked but actually provoked the the spiral of violence in the in the first place. It doesn't just continue that, it actually deepens it. And um, one commentator I've read suggests that AMLO inherits what amounts to criminal insurgencies around the country. Is that an exaggeration or is that a fair description of, of the level of violence that parts of Mexico have experienced? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it's, it's so much insurgencies anymore, actually. There's large parts of the country where criminal groups um, control territories. It's gone beyond a, a kind of challenge to the status quo so much as de facto rulers, rulers in, in, in some places. No, it's a massive, massive challenge. Mark Fierstein, this is something clearly that the United States cares about. Uh, it's not going to take, it, it may not disapprove of the military being on the streets, but it's not going to take too kindly uh, to perhaps the legalisation of cannabis, for instance. Yeah, no, I, I, look, I think it's important to look at the international dimension of, of the crime challenge in Mexico. And AMLO's success uh, will depend on two other countries in particular. The first is the United States and the second is Colombia. In the case of the United States, obviously, we need to, t- we need to continue our efforts uh, to reduce uh, demand for drugs and consumption of drugs. Uh, but with regard to Colombia, uh, you know, that is where coca is produced uh, and that cocaine is then trafficked through Mexico. And that contributes greatly to the crime challenge, to the uh, development of transnational criminal organizations. And coca production in Colombia has soared in recent years. So I think it's going to be, you know, obviously there are steps that AMLO can take uh, with regard to investing in youth and improving uh, police training and police effectiveness in Mexico. Uh, But without the cooperation of countries like uh, Colombia and the United States, I think it's going to be very difficult uh, to make a big dent in the crime crime challenge there, the crime problem there. And just to remind you, you're listening to a podcast edition of The Real Story from the BBC World Service, this week looking at Mexico. Each week we tackle a different topic and you can download the programme every Friday. I encourage you to subscribe so you won't miss an edition. There are also many other BBC World Service podcasts to choose from. You could try Witness, our history series told by the people who were there.
And do please let us know what you think of this podcast from The Real Story or any ideas for topics you'd like us to look into. You can email us at our new email address, therealstory at bbc.co.uk or tweet at Ritala. But now let's get back to this edition of The Real Story with me, Ritala Shah, looking at Mexico. And my guests. We're joined by Valeria Moy and Genaro Lozano in Mexico City. Mark Fierstein is in Washington, D.C. And here with me in London is Joe Tuckman. Earlier in the programme, we talked about Mexico's problems at home. I want to talk about those a little bit more before we peer over the border and, and consider the relationship with the neighbour to the north. That's the United States. But just to stay at home for a moment, Mark Fierstein, you were talking about that international perspective to Mexico's drug problems. But Presumably that also plays into any attempt to tackle corruption. It's one thing to cut the salaries of civil servants and so on. But if you've got this huge drugs trade alongside your regular economy, that isn't going to help you tackle corruption, is it? Yeah, I mean, that is arguably Mexico's greatest challenge. And it's also the area where AMLO has been the most vague. As we heard earlier, he campaigned and spent a lot of time talking about corruption But he had this idea that the way to fix it is by having a clean leader at the top. If you have a strong example set by the president, then other officials will follow that. I think that is a questionable approach. Obviously, to combat corruption, Mexico is going to have to apply its laws more effectively, strengthen its institutions that combat corruption. And just the example of of an honest leader will not be uh, sufficient. So I think that's one of the but first let me, things let me to just do. interrupt sure. you yeah. <laughs> because uh, that's, that's the way he got into the presidency. Let's just remind mm-hmm. us, uh, the, the audience that the president that is leaving uh, the office now, Enrique Peña Nieto, has been one of the most corrupted leaders Mexico has ever had. I don't agree with Genaro that Enrique Peña Nieto has been the most corrupt president ever because we don't have the evidence. We don't have the data. Hanaro, it's possible to sling mud at, at everybody, but isn't another fundamental issue when it comes to, to tackling corruption this question of impunity? Very few crimes in Mexico are actually prosecuted and end in conviction. That's correct. Another one of the issues that got him into the presidency. And, uh, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm actually quite conflicted because the fact that he promised that he's going to take corruption away from the country because he's an honest leader, and, and, and as my colleagues were saying, that does resonate among the people mm-hmm. in Mexico. People do believe that. But the problem with that is that he's not creating the institutions that are needed in order to fight corruption. He he has always been very distrustful of the creation of a fiscalia, of an autonomous prosecutor. He's been very distrustful of that because he looks at what happened in Brazil with the prosecutors that got into the, almost into jail, uh, President Dilma Rousseff, and who got into jail, former President Lula. So he's very afraid of that. He claims that some people within civil society want to put him in jail, and that's why they're pushing for an autonomous prosecutor. But of course, I think that he's very wrong with that. I do believe that the fact that uh, he's going to be very in in charge of of the country, he's been saying that and and sending that message to uh, investors, to politicians, to everybody that he's going to be in charge. And he's also creating over 50 people who are going to be in the States looking at what Mm. the money is, 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 uh, where where the money, the public money is going. Joe Tuckman, would you? Yeah, I I think it's, I mean, I think that that 
it's kind of laughable to say I'm not corrupt, then everybody else is not going to be corrupt. But I think it it, it resonates in Mexico because there have been so many deeply corrupt leaders. And because AMLO, you know, you can throw mud at him, but it's just not going to stick. He's been around for an awful long time and him personally, nothing has ever stuck. And it's been tried and tried and tried again. I think his big test, like his really huge test, will be the first big scandal to arise that involves somebody close to him or or somebody in 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 the ruling party if he doesn't act on that if he doesn't go after somebody which inevitably will happen clearly then there will be massive disappointment i think the expectations are high but i think among amlo supporters they've been waiting for this moment for a very long time i don't think they're expecting massive change immediately i think they're expecting signs that things are going in the right direction let's talk about another test and that's uh, the relationship with the united states uh, mexico and uh, how it's handled was a major part of donald trump's presidential campaign and it has to be said his view wasn't always very friendly When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. But I speak to border guards, and they tell us what we're getting. And it only makes common sense. Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. So, we're going to build it. Who's going to pay for the wall? 100%. NAFTA has been a terrible deal, a total disaster for the United States from its inception, costing us as much as $60 billion a year with Mexico alone in trade deficits. You say, who who negotiates these deals? Not to mention millions of jobs and thousands and thousands of factories and plants closing down all over our country. Well, despite that rhetoric, one of Mr. López Obrador's first comments when he was elected was about addressing that relationship with the United States. Con el gobierno de Estados Unidos... With the government of the United States, we shall seek a relationship of friendship and cooperation, always based on mutual respect and the defense of our Mexican migrants who live and work honestly in that country. Mark Feirstein, in a sense, playing some of those clips from the campaign is interesting because Trump and AMLO have actually got off to quite a good start. President Trump's dubbed him Juan Trump. Can Can that relationship last? Well, Donald Trump is a a master at bluster and empty threats. And during the campaign, he made three promises with regard to Mexico. The first is that we would would build a wall and Mexico will pay for it. Well, there won't be a wall. (laughs) Second, uh, he talked about withdrawing from NAFTA because it was an awful deal. Instead, he made minor revisions to NAFTA. And then third, he talked about deporting millions of Mexicans. Well, that's not happening either and it's not going to happen. There are actually two different policies coming out of the United States. On the one hand, you have the approach by Donald Trump and in which he makes, as we just heard, some very offensive comments and often racist comments. 
But then you have the day-to-day relationship, which is being managed by the State Department, by professionals in the White House, by career officers in the Department of Homeland Security. And they actually work very well with their counterparts. So the day-to-day relationship has been, has been managed fairly effectively. And the administration, administration officials have been able to mitigate the damage that Donald Trump would otherwise have imposed. Uh, on the other hand, though, on a personal level, actually, they are what they have in common is that they're both populist leaders who are challenging the established order. First, I would take issue that with the idea that Donald Trump is a populist. Uh, I think the P word is uh, thrown around a bit too much. Uh, populists uh, don't cut taxes for the wealthy and, and take health care from people. But that's another issue. No, but I, look, I, I think there are certain commonalities between the two. But I, I think that, you know, AMLO is someone who is genuinely concerned about the well-being of the Mexican people. I don't think the same is true with regard to Donald Trump. Now, that said, I think that AMLO is is pragmatic and I think he understands the importance of the United States to Mexico, that there's only so far you can go in, in challenging the United States. Uh, the rhetoric is one thing, but I think he recognizes that you know, what he wants to do with the economy and, you know, depends on a healthy trade relationship with the United States. I think he recognizes that assistance to the United States to combat crime is going to be necessary. And obviously, we're seeing now with the migration challenge that there's going to be has to be some sort of agreement between the U.S. and Mexico. So I think, you know, AMLO is going to, going to approach this in a fairly pragmatic way, even though dealing with Donald Trump and the fact that Donald Trump is so reviled in Mexico is, is not an easy thing to do. Canaro, how do you think that migration issue will play out? Well, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador wrote a book on the Mexico and the U.S. relationship before uh, the campaign started. And I read the book. The book is called Hey Trump, Listen Trump. And it's a book in which he actually talks a lot about migration. He sees migration as the main issue between Mexico and the U.S. Of course, he also talks about trade and violence and trying to stop uh, the arrival to Mexico of all the guns that are killing um, Mexicans here because that's one of the main problems between the, the two countries. And he claims that migration is part of the relationship that is there and, and it's going to always to be there, that we have over 20 million people living in the U.S. and that he wants to have a responsible, friendly relationship with the U.S. even though Donald Trump was there. He hasn't met Trump. I, I, I'm sure that they have talked over the phone after he, they talk over the phone after he uh, won the presidency, but I wouldn't be trusting so much the fact that uh, both of them kind of develop a good relationship. We've seen that Donald Trump has developed a good relationship with President Macron and with uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, and the next day, Donald Trump uh, blows away the relationship with those two countries. Uh, uh, And there's already a potential row brewing over this so-called migrant caravan. And what is the future of those people stuck on the Mexican border? They've been trying since Barack Obama's presidency to have Mexico signed a kind of a safe third country agreement by which Mexico would agree to have within the Mexican territory people who are looking for asylum or refugee in the U.S. Uh, until they process, until the U.S. officials process those applications. And we're actually going in that direction. I mean, the fact that we have over 5,000 people of Honduras and other Central American countries already in Mexico trying to get into the U.S. has induced a very big, I don't like to call it crisis, but of course a big problem for the next presidency, for López Obrador. And I think that Mexico will end up agreeing by signing kind of a safer country agreement that would give Mexico money to have these refugees waiting for their approvals and also the next foreign minister of Mexico has also traveled to Washington and has put up a plan to develop the Central American countries with other Mexican, Central American presidents and also with the U.S. Marcelo Brad wants the U.S. to fund that program. And Mark Fierstein, that is, that, is that likely? 
No. <laughs> um, look, under President Obama, assistance to Central America tripled. President Trump has tried to cut that, although uh, Congress prevented him from doing that. But no, I, I don't think we're going to see any sort of a Marshall Plan-like program for, for Central America. You know, that said, you know, AMLO, like his predecessor, Pinoneto, has talked about increasing Mexican assistance to Central America, and that would be welcome. Uh, and that's something that can, that can be uh, coordinated by the Inter-American Development Bank. And I think there is an understanding in Mexico, and I think the United States as well, although Donald Trump might understand it, but others do, the only way to stem the tide of, of migrants is by investing in Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras, and improving those countries' governance and giving them the capacity to reduce crime and to reduce poverty. And Valeria Moy, if Mexico is turned into some kind of holding centre, to put it rather crudely, for the migrants that have arrived under a US plan, how is that likely to go down with Mexican public opinion? Well, right now, public opinion is changing, which is very interesting to see because we in Mexico complain the way the United States treats our migrants, treats our people. And suddenly we are seeing a reflection, a very sad reflection of ourselves in the way we are treating migrants all through their through their journey, starting from when they got into the southern part of the country to Chiapas. There was some help by some citizens, but the government wasn't ready at all. And now that they are was basically stuck in, in the northern cities in Tijuana and Mexicali. What we're seeing is, uh, as Genaro said, not a crisis, but a huge problem in the way the cities are able to handle the situation. And Lopez Obrador will have a big challenge in this regard because the current administration, I mean, the current that has two days left, is basically going to do nothing as of now. So Lopez Obrador will have to do something about it and might be the first confrontation with the president of the United States. Joe Tuckman, before we move on to talk about trade specifically, the improvement in relations between Mexico and the US has been hard won over several decades. I, no one's going to throw it away overnight, are they, over the migrant issue or indeed anything else? No, but it is a very delicate issue, the migrant issue. I mean, it, it, I mean, and Mexico has behaved terribly badly for a, an awful long time with Central American migrants acting, like not admitting to, but essentially acting as kind of the US policeman deporting people from the south straight back. And what happened with these caravans is that they were mass movements, so it wasn't so easy to kind of push them back, push them back. And if that became a regular kind of method for migration from Central America, that's a really puts AMLO in a very, very difficult position. And I think how he deals with that, not only in front, you know, in, in terms of the US, but also in terms of how he deals with the outbreak of nationalists veering on racist reaction to the migrants in Tijuana, it's huge. And he has to push for this idea of some kind of Marshall Plan. He really has to push it. And he's pushing it, he's pushing it for Mexico as well, not just for Central America. So, I mean, I think it, it, it's, it's an enormous early test. I think he might do fairly well because, as you say, I mean, the, the pragmatic side of things and the need to have good relationships, a good relationship with the U.S. But if he's going to push for something which he's not going to get, that's that's not going to be a, a good look, is it? Not necessarily. You can be. He's quite good at playing that kind of thing, you know, like sort of pushing enough to show that you actually would, you really would want it, and you would get it if you know. So marks for trying. Yeah, I think you can get marks for trying. Something to that because uh, I, I just want to stress that I I, I love the fact that uh, you mentioned the Marshall Plan uh, mm -hmm. to, to make a comparison, and I think that the, the money that uh, Marcelo Brad is looking, the funding for that plan is not only in the U.S. He has also had meetings with European leaders and also with other Latin Americans. 
claiming that uh, all these countries signed the New York Declaration on Refugees, the Global Compact on Regular Migration. And Marcelo Obrard, he's a very pragmatic and, and a very effective negotiator. And I think that he's going to get the funding for that program, even though it doesn't, if, if it doesn't come from the U.S., it will come from Canada, it will come from Brazil, it will come from other countries in the region and also from Mexico itself and from European counterparts, just as we had a similar program during the 80s when we also had migrants from Guatemala and other countries in Central America because of the war that they were having and the violence that they were having. We had over 10,000 people in Mexican territory and they were funded not by the U.S. but by the European Union. So I think that Marcelo Obrard is looking at that okay. uh, past experience and he's going to get those funds. But again, I, don't, I don't think we should expect an infusion of funds for two reasons. One, you know, aid agencies around the world, Europe, Canada, the United States have been shifting funding away from Latin America and toward uh, places in Africa, for example. And number two, given what's going on in Central America now, where you have governments that are not uh, models of, uh, of good governance, and we're seeing this in particular in Guatemala and Honduras, I think they are looking as poorer investments, frankly, for development assistance. But one thing, if I could say with regard to the language we use in terms of the migrant issue, this is not a crisis by any means. If you look at the numbers of people that are coming, the United States can manage this and can absorb these people. Um, it is a humanitarian crisis. And just if you look at the situation that people in the caravan, for example, and others who are trafficked across Mexico, it, it, it's a great tragedy to see what these people go through. But you know, there are migrant crises around the world. I think you know, Venezuelans going into Colombia and elsewhere. And we certainly, in, uh, we're certainly with regard to Syrians, but I think we need to be careful with how we how we sure. characterize the numbers of people and, and the challenge that the United States and Mexico face with regard to Central Americans. Okay, let's move on for that. I want to talk about trade, another big challenge. President Trump had called the North American Free Trade Deal, or NAFTA, the worst trade deal ever. This has now been replaced by something called the USMCA, the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement. The leaders of the three countries are expected to sign it at the G20 summit in Argentina this weekend. Is this a deal, do you think, that AMLO can get behind, Mark Fierstein? Yeah, AMLO is behind it, and Mexico will be, will be behind it. The challenge, of course, is will be to get it ratified by the United States Congress, approved by the United States Congress. You know, but basically, what the Trump administration did, you know, with Canada and Mexico in this case, is take NAFTA, make some modest modifications, draw from the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which a, a deal that supposedly Trump had reviled, but now basically merged the TPP and, and NAFTA to create this new agreement. But I think that the challenge now is going to be in the U.S. Congress, especially given Democrats and the protectionist tendency that uh, many Democrats have. Uh, but Valeria Moy also, isn't there a challenge in some of its provisions, this idea that uh, Mexican workers in a, in a car factory must be paid at least $16 an hour, which might end up discouraging investment in the country? It will discourage investment in Mexico regarding that industry in particular. What I think is that many of the firms that, that build cars are not going to abide by that rules of origin and they just will take the tax, will take the tariff, because the way they have to change their production chains and their way of manufacturing cars and the way they hire people might not even compensate the rule of origin. So what they are thinking of doing is just assuming the tariff, the 2.5 tariff. That's a big change, probably for the Mexican economy, that's the biggest change in the new USMCA. There's another thing, the sunset clause, that it's a detriment from the NAFTA that we have today. We didn't have an expiration date on the agreement, and now we, we have it. 
It's better than the one that was proposed by the Trump administration that proposed the agreement to terminate after five years. Now it's the proposal. It's about reviewing the agreement every six years and trying to terminate and restart a new agreement every 16 years. So it's not a very good clause, but it's better than the one that was proposed by the Trump administration. Joe Tuckman, I want to ask you about uh, one issue that in a sense has led many people to think about, to, to consider uh, what the stra- economic strategy more broadly may be under AMLO. And that was the decision to stop the building of this airport in Mexico City after what some say some say is a, a barely a legal consultation with people. It has rattled investors. How How significant do you think that intervention was? I think it was very, very significant. I think, yes, it rattled investors. I think it also sent a very clear message to the big business groups in Mexico that I'm in charge. You know, you can scream, you can shout, I'm in charge and you're going to have to deal with me. And I think the political need, I think AMLO judged that the political need to send that message to extremely powerful groups that were able to impose their will on on governments was was key. And I think that's how it was seen. Genaro, I think there was about 1% of Mexicans who took part in that consultation. And I think you were one of them. So presumably, this is a decision (laughs) that you approved of. Yeah, um, I actually voted for uh, continuing uh, the continuation of <laughs> oh, that airport. Oh, you, you wanted the airport uh, to continue. <laughs> you, you were, just by going back to the original question that you posed uh, to all of us at the beginning of the show, is Lopez Obrador going to change Mexico? And I think he's already, uh, he's starting to change it in the way that uh, he wants the people to discuss public issues. He wants people to have a say. And uh, the fact that he's announcing that during his six uh, years in office, he's going to frequently uh, consult, uh, make this public consultations on people to decide on different programs. I think that's great. Valeria, there's two issues there, the one of direct direct democracy, but also is there something symbolic in stopping a project, a big infrastructure project like an airport, which at least to some people might seem like one that has very little benefit for the poorest in society, but benefits the richest. That's one way of seeing it. But it's a wrong way to say it. I think the airport that was being built, well, actually, it's still being built at this point in time, was the major project of infrastructure of the country in decades, not only in in this administration, in decades. What I think is that this, the cancellation of the project, is a huge signal of the way things are going to happen. And the consultation, from my perspective, this particular consultation, the airport consultation, was just a farce, was just a way to confirm his point of view and to confirm his win. And then Mexico will lose the opportunity to become an important hub. And Mexico has the geographical situation that can be an important hub in transportation. It would benefit the poor, indeed, because we think of passengers that fly to, you know, to the States or to Europe. But we forget about the cargo. And this was going to be the major airport in many countries. It was going to be the fourth largest airport. I, of course, agree with consultations, but I think consultations should be done properly and in a statistical way, not the way that he has been doing this couple of consultations. All right. Plenty to think about there. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. So I'm going to really on this, perhaps jumping off this idea of, of what may or may not lie in the future for the economy, want to ask each of you in turn then, how optimistic are you about the future of Mexico and whether AMLO can change it uh, for the better? Mark Fierstein. I've spent about 30 years working on living in Mexico. I, I love the Mexican people. I'm optimistic uh, about uh, about them. 
perhaps more so than I am about a particular leader, a particular administration. Mexico's come a long way uh, in recent decades, both economically and politically. I'm confident that that progress uh, will continue. It may not happen as, as quickly as the Mexican people desire and need, uh, but I think Mexico is largely on the right track, and I uh, hope that will continue in the future. Genaro Lozano. I'm very enthusiastic about the future. I'm, of course, a little bit disappointed because of some of the decisions that he has taken, but I'm really enthusiastic about what's coming. I think that this Saturday will be the beginning of, I don't know if a fourth transformation, as he calls it, but I think that it's going to be a profound change by which Mexicans have a relationship with their authorities. I think that is going to change also the way in which Mexicans decide on which programs to have. And I think that markets will be there to be a, a check and balance to local Obrador presidency. I think that mm. there's also a very strong part of Mexican civil society who are already trying to be a, also a, a check and balance to Lopez Obrador. And a, a, one of my colleagues was saying at the beginning of the, of the show, okay. the media has also played a very big part of it. And I think that it's going to be for the good. Valeria Moy. I'm not that optimistic of, of Lozano. Um, what I think is it's not going to be a very good presidency in terms of economic development. I completely agree with the problems that Lopez Obrador pointed at during his campaign. Of course, there's a lot of corruption, insecurity, inequality, poverty, and we need to tackle those issues. However, what I've been saying of his proposals, because even when he hasn't started yet, there are many proposals on the table and many proposals are going through Congress. And those specific proposals are not going to tackle poverty and they're not going to diminish inequality. Those are the things that concern me. I completely agree with the, with the objectives, with the points, with the things that need to be solved. But I don't think that what they are proposing are actually going to solve the main issues that we have. Joe Tuckman. Um I really don't know if I'm optimistic or pessimistic. I think it could go well and I think it could go disastrously wrong. I think the I think the expectations will of course not be met, but I think well I think you need to divide it because between the expectation that he will um, fulfill all his promises or the expectation that he will shake things up. And I think so far it does appear that the expectation he will shake things up is is being fulfilled. And I think that has to be part of things going positively. It won't necessarily end up that way, but that shake-up has to happen. Plenty to think about, plenty to look forward to. That's it for this week on The Real Story. Thank you very much to all our guests, Joe Tuckman, Valeria Moy, Genaro Lozano and Mark Fierstein. And we'd love to hear your thoughts. Email us, therealstory at bbc.co.uk. From me, Rithula Shah and the team, that is The Real Story for this week. Thank you for listening.